Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now, here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. I'm excited to have Russell Lehman on the podcast again today. In our first conversation, Russell shared both the joys and the challenges of being autistic. And in our second conversation, we talked about language and the language around autism. Today, we sat down to talk about autistic culture and explored how to bridge the gap between neurodivergent and neurotypical people. Russell is an autistic motivational speaker and poet, contextualizing autism, mental health, disabilities, and the overall human condition. Russell showed signs of autism as a newborn. However, he was not formally diagnosed until the age of 12, after suffering through five weeks in a lockdown psychiatric facility. Russell's work has taken him all over the world, from London to Dubai to Helsinki, spreading hope, awareness, and compassion in a raw and dynamic fashion, while also setting his sights on erasing the stigma and stereotypes that come with having a disability. I hope you enjoy our third conversation in this series of discussions with Russell. So good morning, Russell. Good morning, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you again. Likewise. Likewise. Good to be with you. Uh, So the concept of autistic culture um, is actually really new to me. But when you mentioned that this was one of the topics that you wanted to discuss on the podcast, I looked into it and I found a definition. Is it okay if I read it to you? Sure, yeah. Okay. So autistic culture is culture built around the ways of speaking, thinking, and acting that come naturally to autistic people or which have been created in autistic communities. Does that sound right to you? Is there anything you want to add to that? I honestly didn't know there was an exact definition of it. So that sounds, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of thought of it in my own way as a type of culture. I didn't know it was actually out there as, with an actual definition. Um, yeah, I mean, what is the definition of any kind of culture, right? It's kind of shared values, shared communication, shared kind of societal rules behind a, a group. And so, yeah, I feel like that definition kind of fits hits the mark pretty closely. And how do you experience autistic culture? Uh, that is a good question. I, gosh, well, I experienced the clash of cultures, right? I experienced right. my autistic culture with the clash of the American culture or wherever mm-hmm. I happen to be in any given moment. And I think, you know, again, if uh, the vast majority of people knew I was of a quote unquote different culture, they'd be a lot more understanding to the way I at times behave that might seem unusual to them, right? Because, you know, if you're met with different cultures, whether they're from India or Africa or anywhere in the world, uh, if you know they're of a different culture, then you're much more accepting, right? But with autism, it's invisible, just like culture most of the time. And so I feel like if there's a way to make the autistic culture more uh, visible, so to speak, there'd be a lot, uh, not not per se more understanding, but more acceptance and more uh, interest in wanting to understand. And and what are those the pieces of that culture that seem to you to be sort of most salient that, um, you know, if if listeners were wondering, you know, the three or five different pieces of autistic culture that you wish other folks would understand or that neurotypical folks would understand, um, what would those be? I think number one would be uh, like the I take things literally and I know that. I take words people say literally. Um, and I know now pragmatically that when people like tell me they're going to do something for me, not to believe it's going to happen because, you know, people say things with the well intention of trying to do something for you, but if they don't follow through, you know, I, I, I tend to, if you say something to me, I think you're going to back it up. Right. And I've learned now that a lot of people just say things kind of to, uh, make the moment more comfortable, not with the actual intention of going through with it. So I've been let down. I've been hurt. I've been, you know, uh, frustrated um, by the lack of actions behind people's words, um, whether that is, you know, uh, even saying I love you. You know, if a friend tells me I they love me, I mean, like, 
do you though? Like we've only known each other for like six months. Right. And so like words are very important that we touched on last episode. I think so. The literal meaning for me would be number one. Um, Number two, gosh, I mean, there's so many just complex nuances. I would say number two would be the way I uh, connect with people. I I connect somewhat uh, opposite than those who are in the vast majority of the population. A lot of people, if they haven't met somebody, they grow comfortable through small talk. And then once they get to know that person, they delve into the deeper stuff. I'm not really comfortable with small talk until I delve into the deeper stuff with that individual. That's how I connect. I want to connect emotionally before I can connect, you know, just on a day to day, you know, shoot the shoot the shit part of my um, language with individuals. So the backwards kind of way I connect um, is uh, it's almost like two and two opposite sides of a battery. You know, it's like it doesn't work. So it's, I always have to, you know, I know the American culture, right? But they don't necessarily know mine. So I'm always the one that has to accommodate, funny enough, their culture, so to speak, rather than them realizing how I operate and accommodating me. That makes so much sense. And it also sounds absolutely exhausting. Um, (laughs) And I think it also sort of like reminds me of the double empathy problem. so I, I think it fits really well and fits in really well with the concept of autistic culture. So basically there's been research that suggests that communication breakdowns between people who are autistic and people who are non-autistic are not just a function of skill deficits on the part of autistic people, but they're actually caused by a mismatch between both people. Um, and they make it difficult for them to understand each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the most interesting studies that I saw um, was they had uh, they had three groups of people. One group were people who were non-autistic. One group were people who were autistic. And the third group were people who were, it was a mixed group. There were four autistic people and four non-autistic people. And they each of them, they told a story to the first person in each group. And then that person, it was basically like a game of telephone. Mm-hmm. And then they would tell the story to the second person and then the second person to the third person. And what they found was the group of folks who were autistic and the group of folks who were all non-autistic, they were indistinguishable. They were they they sort of like kept the salient points of the story at about the same rate. Okay. And it was the group of folks that were mixed, autistic and non-autistic, and that's where the details of the story or the, the ability to recall or the ability to sort of like, you know, understand what someone else had just told them and relay it to someone else that degraded significantly quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found that fascinating because it's so contrary to the way that uh, that autism has been conceptualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering what's your sort of like personal experience of knowing other folks who are autistic um, versus knowing folks who are non-autistic and the types of relationships, whether they be friendships or romantic relationships or you know fam- familial relationships. Um, what is that what does that feel like to you? It's, uh, well, in regards to communicating with other people who have autism, I have very little of that. I've really only met, gosh, I've probably in my personal life, I've only really met like one person with autism. So 99% of my communication with the outside world is through um, either they have autism and I just don't know, or they're neurotypical, right? Um, so a lot of my uh, conversations, I have, I'm the one who is I, I'm often left thinking, wait, I'm the one with the communication disorder, really, guys? Like, let's be a little more clear here, right? There was an instance uh, last week, you know, a friend of mine um, invited me over to his place uh, for lunch. And uh, the, the, I mean, he knows I have autism. We've, talk, we've had many deep talks about it. And uh, he never got back to me the day before. It was like uh, he wanted to meet for lunch um, on a Sunday afternoon. Saturday night, he still hadn't got back to me at what time we were meeting. Monday morning, uh, Sunday morning, I wake up. I still hadn't heard from him. And I was getting anxious because I don't know if I discussed this in the last episode, but I, I'm realizing how much I think in pictures. And it's um, totally unconscious. I need in order to grab on to a concept such as going to a lunch, 
my mind develops a portrait, so to speak, of what that's going to look like, knowing full well that it's probably not going to go according to plan, but I need some kind of outline or template. So with the time to be determined when I woke up that Sunday, I was unable to put together pieces of that portrait. So I was not able to process meeting him for lunch until I knew the time. Well, sure enough, you know, now it's like 11 a.m. And then he finally texts me, say, OK, can you come over at one? And I haven't even put my portrait together yet. So I, I couldn't go. I had to tell him I can't go. And he also told me that another friend was going to be there. And I'm like, John, like, come on now. Like, you, you should have told me that I, I, I didn't know anyone else was going to be there. Right. And so I told I kind of laid into him. I said, like, I have autism. Like, you know, we've talked about this. You need to tell me who's going to be there. I need more notice this and that. And um, that's uh, so it's always me. I always find myself um, having to be the one to explain how I operate because I know how others operate. Right. But again, they don't know how I operate. So it's like I can I'm almost like bilingual. Right. Like I can almost speak to the American culture and then the autistic culture. But unfortunately, the vast majority of people can only speak one of those left. And that leaves me to do all the explaining, which is, again, on top of speaking two different languages, having to explain it is even more exhausting. Yeah, I I think, you know, I can imagine that there's just like so much like just being routinely misperceived Mm -hmm. and also sort of, you know, just having that disconnect um, Mm -hmm. can lead to probably loneliness and feelings of isolation. And And, yeah, and a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, shame, right? Because mm -hmm. again, I found out afterward, after I canceled and said, John, like I, I'm like shutting down now. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, he told me afterward that, you know, another person was there and they made a meal specifically for me because I'm vegetarian. And so they went all to all this work to make this meal for me and I didn't show up. But again, they didn't communicate that to me. So I'm like, so I feel bad that they went to that work and I didn't show up and nobody ate that food. But at the same time, it's like, guys, be, be a little more clear in your communication. So I've realized that uh, I'm, I'm so new to having friends in my personal life that I've realized like one of my top values, one of my needs when you are my friend is good communication skills. And I would like to think that any person, regardless of their diagnosis, if they're, uh, if they have good communication skills, they can communicate with anybody, you know, regardless of who that individual is. So it's, uh, it's kind of odd that, you know, autism is labeled a communication disorder. And I understand why, but at the same time, I'm left wondering like, really, is it me or is it you guys? Mm-hmm. Whenever I think about uh, culture, I think about sort of like gathering spaces, mm-hmm. um, places where people can get together and talk about the same things or talk about things that they have in common and mm-hmm. you know, have celebrations together. It doesn't sound like you have found one of those kind of gathering spaces. Correct. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I had a, a meeting with um, this uh, autistic self-advocate uh, in, in Cambridge. They're at, Har- they're at Harvard. And um, we, we had a call, what, like three days ago. And she was using all these terms like uh, safety foods and, and all these terms that I never heard before, but I knew what they meant because I have safety food, right? Um, so it was apparent to me that, you know, because they had, you know, they had their community cultural group, so to speak. They were around other people with autism. I've never really had that. So I don't even know, you know, it's like I'm almost now, um, it's almost like I've had my, I've been in a silo where I've wanted to uh, have some kind of group, but that group that I usually end up being in is not an autistic uh, led group, if that makes sense. So yeah, it's been very, I'm almost in between both cultures, you know, I'm kind of like straddling the line between both cultures and that, that that's frustrating and lonely because I'm so used to communicating with the general public at large, not so much with autism specific populations, unless I'm speaking at a conference that uh, again, it's a lot of navigating back and forth, a lot of just flipping switches on whoever I'm talking to. I have to flip that switch to suit their needs. So I'm the one again, who has to do most of the accommodating. I wonder what those spaces, those common spaces for autistic folks could be, though, and how you could seek them out. Um, do you? I, I do know some folks who have connected with others via gaming, mm-hmm. um, online gaming, mm-hmm. and um, and I also know that there are Facebook groups, but mm-hmm. it seems like that's maybe something that is lacking. 
in our society. Yeah, I mean, and I'm I'm not one for like hanging out on uh, social media, right? Like you, if there were like, I, I just don't like, um, if I want to hang out with people, I want to do it in person. And it's almost more frustrating mm-hmm. to me to connect with somebody who's halfway across the country where I can't physically meet them than mm-hmm. to just not connect at all because I want that in-person connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's tough for me because I am, I've, you know, obviously I have autism, but I think my life story is just, my life journey is so unique that I'm mm-hmm. unlike a lot of typical people with autism. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I was conditioned in a very different way due to my isolation. So fitting into an autism group, I always, again, feel like I'm the odd man out um, and for various reasons, but it, it, it is definitely tough. And I, I can't even, if you were to ask me like my perfect, like uh, autistic kind of support group that I could dream up, I don't even know what that would be because I just, I have no idea. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. Um, it does make obviously connecting with people uh, more difficult, but at the same time, you know, I, I have a hesitancy to just connect with people just because they have autism. I want to connect with the person because I like them as a hu- uh, decent human, right? I don't want to seek autistic people out because some autistic people can be assholes. Let's be frank, right? I mean, like, <laughs> it doesn't mean you're a good per- person just because you have autism. So mm-hmm. it's very, again, a very delicate dance on how do I find relationships or at least connections and what is the most uh, efficient way for me to expend my energy in developing those connections. You know, when you say that you feel like the odd man out, even when you're sort of thinking about um, the world of autistic people, um, it reminds me of that old adage that um, that it was repeated over and over again. I don't know if people say it so much anymore, but in the 90s, you know, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. (laughs) The underlying message being that the spectrum is so wide and so diverse that there isn't really one way of thinking or being autistic. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, but at the same time, it seems like as you're talking about um, these things that seem very familiar to me um, from talking to other autistic people about, you know, sort of that, um, that need to kind of like understand what's going to happen and picture it in your mind Mm -hmm. before it, it happens. The, the taking words very literally at their face value. these seem like kind of through lines um, or tendencies that that kind of create commonalities between folks. And I find it really interesting that you were talking to this other person in Cambridge and they're using terms that you've never heard before, but mm-hmm. you automatically understand them. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, know, right? That must have feel, felt good. That must have felt like a, a, a true like natural connection. It did. And it, it kind of gave me some hope. And at the same time, it was kind of bittersweet because I'm like, wait, there, there's people out there who can like talk about these things with each other because I, you know, I don't go around talking about my safety foods with people, except this with my mom, because people don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So to just mm-hmm. realize like off, like get hit in the face with the smack of reality that, yeah, there are people out there who can talk about these things openly I was like, I've never been able to talk about those openly. So while it was like great to hear that that's a thing, um, it was also bittersweet because I've yet to find those people in my life that I can open up to about that and who can resonate, right? Like, obviously I can open up to my friends about it, but they don't, it doesn't resonate with them because they don't have safety food. So accept me for that, but to be able to connect over that is non-existent. So it's, uh, it's very interesting. And again, it's, yeah, I mean, she used, uh, two words, comfort food that I never heard before, but I knew their meaning, right? So it was, uh, we were definitely speaking the same language, even though I had never heard that language before. And you're right. I mean, there are very, uh, um, there are a few cornerstones to the foundation of what autism encompasses, how they manifest in each individual is vastly different, but what is manifesting, the thing that is manifesting is usually the commonality that underlies a di- autism diagnosis. So one of the things, one of the issues that I have with the concept of autistic culture is that a lot of autistic people that I know and love don't have the capacity to engage in this type of conversation that you and I are having. 
um, or don't have the skills to be able to go out and socialize with other autistic folks, mm -hmm. um, or even to just be able to comment mm -hmm. on what they see as commonalities between themselves and other mm -hmm. autistic people. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, are, are people who have profound autism or, or just really struggle to communicate or are nonverbal, um, are they automatically excluded from this autistic culture? I don't say they're automatically excluded. Um, and again, I don't, I don't know. I obviously I can't speak for them. They're the only ones who can speak in whatever they, way they can communicate for themselves. But I think there is a, you know, there's not, so there's not a lot of equity in, in the autism community. You know, a lot of it is, you know, if you hear about a lot of the, the advocates out there on the national level, they tend to be verbal. Right. And that's why a lot of the parents of the profound autism or severe autism or however you want to put it, um, end up being advocates for their children. Um, and then they get flack from other self-advocates because they're saying you can't speak for them. Well, then who is going to speak for them? Right. So, yeah, I think they're not, they are excluded to, uh, to a varying extent, but I, I, I don't believe they're automatically excluded. Um, and, and again, I, I almost would rather, if there is a support group for nonverbal uh, autistics, I would almost rather go to that meeting because I feel um, if I went to a meeting of higher, I don't want to say higher functioning, but again, just it's people similar to me, so to speak, um, I, I don't, I can't relate to them because I've come so far and I've struggled so much with my autism and I used to be nonverbal by choice. I say, you know, the only person I would ever talk to is my family. I never spoke to anybody other than my family for like 10 years, um, that I, I, the nonverbal, the profound autism resonates more with me than the people that are more like that uh, present more like me, let's say. And uh, it's uh, again, I know what it's like to not be heard and to have a voice in whatever manner that may be and to not um, be heard by the outside world. And that's, um, you know, so if there were people I connect with, you know, I think it would be uh, on the end of the, the nonverbal spectrum of autism, because again, I, I, I can resonate, I resonate with, I connect with people through, again, like I said earlier, deep things. And I, I feel like um, I'm a very unique human who uh, has, uh, you know, whose connections are, are few, but very profound with those connections. So whether you have autism or not, it's, you're still going to have to be kind of a atypical in, in whatever regard, regardless of your diagnosis to, to connect with me, because again, I'm very unique and due to my prevalence and isolation, I've been conditioned to, you know, think and behave and, and just process information in a different way than the most vast majority of people, even with autism. Well, speaking of your unique way of processing information, you know, I'm going to ask, is there a poem that you think fits into this conversation that you'd like to share with us? Oh gosh. Um, let's see. I think there is. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me, I, I don't have this one recited off the top of my head. So let me pull it up really quick. Yeah. This poem, I think I wrote in 2019. So obviously like the preface this poem, I've, uh, and again, another reason why I might not relate that well to individuals on the spectrum is I like to talk about suffering and struggle and a lot of uh, you know, individuals out there who have autism, I'm kind of shy away from that, from my experience. So this poem is again, kind of leaning into my, my suffering and how it made me more compassionate towards myself and towards others. And to, again, realize that the old quote says, those who know how to suffer actually suffer less because they have more experience and become more familiar with it. So this poem, it is, does not have a title. It is untitled, but it, uh, it kind of encompasses just, uh, kind of my day-to-day -day life um, and, and how, you know, even though every day might be a struggle that, you know, it's worth it in the end. Okay, let's see here. You wake up wishing to stay in bed. Your head is clouded. You dread the day ahead. Yet you still shed the bedspread all the while wanting to be dead. But you get up, you fight, you focus on life instead. You move throughout each and every day with the hardened look of apathy. Passers-by not able to see you're on the precipice of self-catastrophe. It hurts to be misunderstood on top of barely surviving. You're taking that face value instead of the price your heart brings. That you somehow cast that all aside in order to simply do the right thing. The epitome of a broken soul, housing a fire that is ever ignited. You let the world know that it's okay to let the pain show. 
to fail, to cry, to be in woe, plant the seeds that in turn proceed to grow. A fervent force within you that you would never know has the power to bring this world together, bonding and sorrow for a better tomorrow. Thank you. That's really beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate your ability to put those really strong feelings into words and really paint a picture of, of the experience of being misunderstood. How have you dealt with being misunderstood and with this sort of clash of cultures? Are there internal coping mechanisms that you have learned over time? There are. Um, there are def I definitely have. And I'm realizing now, you know, the last nine months being the first time I've been fully independent, I'm realizing that they're um, the functioning mechanisms, the coping, coping mechanisms I've uh, constructed throughout my isolation are somewhat to my detriment. You know, I, ha I am realizing that I've been misunderstood so much in my life that um, prior to becoming fully independent and, and still very much to this day, I developed this tendency to almost demonize the outside world. So I um, almost always think that, you know, why set, I set expectations low, let's put it that way. I feel like I go into any circumstance, I'm just going to be misunderstood. If I'm not, then great. Um, but that's, you know, that that's not very conducive to the life I want to live. Obviously, I want to meet people with an open mind and not judge them before I ever met them. So I'm realizing the more I like interact with people my age here in L.A. or, um, you know, I, the more I do my uh, speaking, I'm realizing that, you know, the way I have perceived the outside world, so to speak, um, is is not reality you know people are understanding and just because you know a handful of people throughout my life who had a very large role in my life misunderstood me and was very detrimental to my well-being i can't generalize that over in, into the future because i was just a handful of people from my past so i think that's one of the coping it's like an unhealthy coping mechanism that i just developed on my own to mm -hmm. humanize the outside world because it also gave validation to why i was alone it's, i was like well, if I can't be part of this world, I'm going to make I'm going to form some sense of closure around it. And the closure is going to be maybe I don't want to be part of this world because they're all they're all assholes anyway. Right. So it's mm -hmm. kind of that mentality that helped me get through that isolation. And, you know, it's almost like I've been in prison. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm stuck in prison. I'm going to say, you know, I, I don't really want to be released right because the, the outside world doesn't get me right i want to stay in my prison cell because this is what i'm comfortable with so it's uh i haven't really learned yet any like healthy healthy coping mechanisms i'm obviously learning how to deconstruct the unhealthy ones but i've uh, definitely realized that you know just from being misunderstood um i you know it's kind of manifesting today and you know it's very hard for me to advocate for myself on a personal basis because i feel like people just won't get it so again whether it's bringing up a comfort food or or telling my friend hey i need more notice about this um it, it's very difficult because i think people are either going to lay into me like they used to do when i was a kid or they're just going to be like so what like like just get used to it russell which has also happened when i was a kid so it's uh, obviously, you know, that's part of my conditioning. It's probably going to take a few years, if not a few decades to fully unravel that. Uh, but, that but that's part of the journey, right? And that's part of the journey of me being on the spectrum, but also wanting to be part of the general society at large. And I think if uh, I can just continue to be aware um, that I am in a new experience each and every time, and although I might have familiar feelings surrounding an experience, it's a different day. Um, that I can kind of slowly shed that lens of the past that, that ends up clouding my lens of the future. Well, I want to say that I think that it's very human and it's, it's sort of like we are, we are wired, all of us, um, to generate, you know, to learn from, you know, what has happened in our past mm -hmm. and how people have treated us in our past. So I think that's, you know, very natural that you, you know, decided to kind of isolate yourself after, you know, experiencing these really painful moments of being understood or misunderstood on a regular basis. And I'm wondering what, what was the catalyst for you deciding to become vulnerable again and reach out and try to bridge that gap between cultures? I think it was just, uh, the pain of being alone, you know, after a certain amount of time, um, you know, even today, you know, yesterday and waking up this morning, I've been struggling with 
uh, you know, like yesterday I didn't, I didn't see anybody. Like I just, and that used to be my life every day before moving to LA, I would only see my mom yesterday. I just went to the gym and that was my only social interaction with anybody. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm growing very tired of being isolated and alone. And as much as I've come, like as much as progress as I've made being less and less isolated, there are still days where again, I fall back into not only that mindset, but those familiar circumstances. And then again, forget to be aware that it's, it's a new day. This isn't like the typical day it used to be in the past. I'm still moving forward. I, I think, you know, it's just, uh, I, I, you know, I was like, what do I have to lose? You know, I'm all alone. Right. So if I can be vulnerable and people don't like that, I'm still going to be all alone. Right. So I have nothing to lose. Right. So I think, uh, there, you know, they say rock bottom is a solid foundation on which I build my future. And that's so true because, you know, when you're at rock bottom, you have nothing to lose. And that's where I was. Um, and I realized I wanted to connect deeply with people and not have that small talk because small talk, if I, if somebody comes up to me and starts small talking with me, um, it's almost worse than not having any, if, than not socializing with them at all, because I'm connecting with this person but I want to connect deeper, but I know they're not ready for that. And so it puts me again in the awkward position. So I think, you know, um, if I, if I can be vulnerable, that's one way to cultivate those relationships that will happen through deep connection. Because if I can just be vulnerable from the get-go, people will tend to, you know, gravitate towards me if they're the same way. Right. And if they enjoy small talk, they might not gravitate towards me. So it's uh, it's easy to find my people in that regard because I just, am authentic. I don't, I, I know who I click with and I know who I don't. Um, and again, that, that came from just not really having much to lose other than, you know, uh, just trying and hoping it works. But if I tried and it failed again, what is failure if you really have nothing to lose? Well, I always tell my sons that um, one of the amazing things about the autistic brain is, um, you know, because you can see things from a different vantage point, you can approach problems from a different angle. Um, and I'm wondering if you have ideas about how non-autistic folks and autistic folks can kind of bridge that gap or ways that um, we as a society could create institutions or ways of, of, of helping this, um, this crossover happen, or even just on an individual basis for either non-autistic people or autistic people, what are some, um, ideas that you might have or ways that you could envision that happening? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, passions, hobbies, I mean, that's what brings cultures together, regardless of what culture they are. You know, you, you, uh, the Olympics are a great example of that, right? All these cultures coming together through a shared, hobby enjoyment of the sport activity and i think it's the same way you know if uh you know if i go to a laker game you know i'm i'm gonna feel like i'm part of the crowd no matter who's next to me right because we're all there for uh something we want to experience together so i think it we have to find the vehicles that you know we that resonate with us and uh, you know that could be anything a lot for me you know uh, i've can made a lot of external connections with people outside of the autism community just through my uh, poetry, right? You know, the uh, people who are interested in poetry, whether they know anything about autism or not, like my poems. My poems happen to be about my life with autism, but the fact that they like poetry and know nothing about autism, it bridges that gap. So they read my poems about autism and then become more familiar. And then there's that two-way road that's built. Um, so I think it's, again, it's just associating ourselves with things we enjoy and then you know having that be the vehicle that can connect us regardless of who we are what we've been through or how we might communicate so you're seeing it as on a very like personal one-on-one -on -one level um you know meeting folks through commonalities and then using that commonality to kind of bridge the gap and and create a, a connection that you can then sort of um, explain your perspective and get to know them in that way. And yeah. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, if you just, uh, if you put two people in a room and ask them to connect, it's very difficult, but if you mm -hmm. have an activity in front of them or something like that, regardless of who they are, it's going to, you know, make a, make it a little bit easier to build a bridge to that connection. And I think that's very important, especially with individuals on the spectrum, because a lot of my connections are, are nonverbal. Like I will, you know, a lot of like my love language is quality time, right. You know, I, 
I love just like if I'm dating somebody, I love just like hanging out with them, doing my own thing. Like just if we're in the same room, I'm happy as can be. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of individuals on the spectrum, they do commute, whether they can speak or are verbal or not. A lot of the connection is developed without speaking, right. Without communicating and just simply being with one another. So I think, yeah, there's something an activity that can bring that together and um, initiate that connection, whether it be through a, a dialogue of uh, any kind or not. I think that's a that's a great um, this again. It's just a great bridge to connect two vastly different cultures. experienced a relationship, either romantic or friendship or familial, where you have been able to sort of explain your perspective and the way that you go about things and have that person actually begin to um, accommodate for your ways of doing things and being? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's happening right now. And I think it's, uh, you know, I'm seeing this woman uh, casually and she's been very uh, she's a great, what I love about her. She's a great listener. I mean, like she just listens and she's very open-minded and, uh, what was it? Two days ago, um, I didn't have time to go to the grocery store and I had a meltdown because my morning routine is I, I have a banana every morning. Well, I didn't have any bananas right for the next day. And my OCD grabbed onto that. And I just started obsessing about how am I going to get a banana? How am I going to get a banana? And, um, so I texted this woman I'm seeing and, in the past, I wouldn't have told her like anything about like my, again, a, com- a safety food. Right. Um, but from what she's shown me, I was able to, again, be vulnerable and say like, Hey, like I'm really having a tough time here just cause I, I can't, you know, I'm obsessing about this stupid banana in the morning. And she surprised me by, you know, just delivering a bunch of bananas to my door. Like, Aww. and I was like, Oh my God, like you do. And I, I told her like, three times that day, I want to, I said, I want to say again, like that was one of the nicest things anybody has ever done for me. And like, you may never understand why, but the fact that you did it, um, means that you want to understand regardless of if you ever do. And it's stuff like that, that that's, that's what it's all about for me, you know, and just small things like that, because I've experienced again, such a tremendous amount of misunderstanding, And also when I do try to advocate for my needs, people don't get it. And they say, oh, well, it's just a banana, you know, calm down. But for her to actually have it delivered to my door, um, you know, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. That was one of the most memorable things anyone has ever done for me. And so, um, you know, her just being able to, you know, be intrigued about my life, you know, again, entering my world. Right. Whereas a lot of people, you know, I have to enter their world, but she reciprocates and we meet halfway. I enter her world. She enters my world. And sometimes we're in both of our worlds separately or we're in one of our worlds together. Right. So it's again, it's a two way road. And that's one thing that's happening now that has never really happened in my life. And it's uh, one thing I'm very grateful now is I to just to have that support outside of my family, knowing a person on the outside world actually may not get me, but wants to get me. That sounds so powerful and beautiful. And I know that you like to write about your struggles a lot, but um, someday I hope to hear a poem about that banana. I should, I should do a banana <laughs> poem. I mean, it's, it's like, a, yeah, it's a, it's a running joke with uh, me and her now. It's like, you know, I need my bananas and uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely just a beautiful thing. And um you know, that's it. I already have like a line going in my head now for a poem about bananas. Right okay, on. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm going to, after this call, I'm going to get to it. <laughs> All right. I, will you send it to me when you're done? I will. Yes. <laughs> Do you think that socially, uh, the neurotypical culture has become a little bit more accommodating or understanding, uh, since, since you sort of experienced all of the um, misunderstandings and difficulties as a child? I think so. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, just the awareness. I mean, like I was talking to this individual, um, what she was probably, she's probably in her early 20s. She's at UCLA and she knows nothing about autism, but she has people with autism in her class. 
that was non-existent when I was growing up, right? Like if you had a person with autism in your class, it was a, it wasn't discussed. Like they were, again, they were just kind of that weird kid. It wasn't really like they're out with their autism or B they were isolated in either special education or like me, like in the principal's office. So to, to hear that, you know, just, we are becoming more inclusive, um, you know, actually very quickly in my eyes, you know, 20 years ago, we were nowhere near the inclusion we have today when it comes to individuals with autism being in school, being in work and all that, and just being out about it. I think that's the number one thing. Um, so yeah, I think there's much more awareness, um, not so much of the world autism. I, you know, I often say people are aware now of the word autism, but not so much of the world autism. And so while there is that little uh, opening in the door to uh promote more awareness about the world through the commonality of everyone knowing the word autism. I think it's still almost at a, we're almost at a cross point where, you know, people now are pretty much everyone has heard the word autism. They're somewhat familiar with it. But again, the point where we're at now is without there being a lot of nuanced contextualization behind the word, there's a little bit more stereo. Uh, stereotypes surrounding the word that there was in the past, because the more people are familiar with the word without realizing what it's all about, the more stigmas and stereotypes get attached. So while we're increasing inclusion and awareness of the word, there are a lot of more misconceptions, unfortunately, that I've encountered in my life and that I've heard through others um, that happen now that wouldn't have had happened 10 years ago, simply because we weren't even talking about autism back then. That's a really good point. What are some of the misconceptions that you would like to dispel? Uh, again, I think just I, I think the biggest one that people don't say, but they will say it um, by not saying it directly is uh, that autism has a look, you know, uh, autism, you're supposed to look somewhat geeky or have glasses or not make eye contact or or not be attractive or, or fit. I mean, people just uh, again, they don't say that out loud because it's not a very polite thing to say. Right. But when I say, you know, there's I, I can't tell you how many times I, I tell people I have autism and they'll just be like, no, you don't like, no. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No. Yeah, I do. And they just don't believe me just because they, they say, well, you, I would have never guessed by looking at you. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, what is it supposed to look like? And so I think that's the biggest one is that, you know, again, I don't look autistic. I don't present as autistic. I do behind the scenes and I do on days I struggle, like when I didn't have my banana, but, you know, through my career, I'm lucky enough to have a career where a lot of the time I'm doing what I'm passionate about. And thus, my struggles kind of dissipate because of my passion. Now, if I was in a nine to five job and something I wasn't as passionate about, my autism would be a lot more visible. There would be a lot more days where I'd go into the office and have a meltdown. Everybody would see it. Right. But the fact that I'm doing something that my heart thoroughly enjoys, it lessens the struggle because, you know, I, I can put my energy more into my passionate outlets. So I, I think the number one thing is uh, what autism looks like. Um, and I always say, you know, aut autism looks like this. Just hold up a mirror to your face. That's what autism looks like because it can look like anybody. Right. And then the second thing I would say is uh, the articulation and eloquence of speaking. You know, again, it's uh, people, the fact that, you know, autism is seen as a communication disorder and that, you know, I can speak very articulately and break things down in a precise manner, I think surprises a lot of people and makes them second guess if I'm even telling the truth behind my autism. Because there are times where people, I can tell just by the look in their eye that they're they're wondering like, is he just saying that to like just get attention or what is this guy all about? Again, a form of misunderstanding that makes me hesitant to form new connections. And that's difficult because it's part of my job autism, right? So if people ask me what I do, I inevitably have to say I have autism because it's, you know, what else am I going to say? So um, there are times where I wish, you know, I didn't always have to bring about autism. And sometimes I do. But uh, again, it's almost more exhausting to, to skirt around the word autism than just to say it and be misunderstood. For our listeners who are wanting to do, you know, wanting to be inclusive and wanting to sort of take that extra step or make that extra effort to meet new potential acquaintances who may be autistic, um, meet them halfway and not make them um, always, you know, putting forth that 90% or 95% of the effort. What are some 
what are some questions that folks can ask or ways that they can uh, treat new people or things to consider when they're meeting new people in case that new potential friend or uh, colleague is autistic? Yeah, I think uh, if uh, number one, if you have questions, ask them, right? You know, just be blunt. You know, a lot of individuals on the spectrum are, again, very literal and therefore very blunt. So if you don't know what to do, ask them, like, how would you like me to, what's your typical form of communication? Like, how would you like to communicate? How, what, like if my friend, the one who invited me over for lunch, we never got to that, right? Like if, if he could have asked, okay, next time this happens, give me three steps I need to do to do this better. Uh, but we never got that far. So just, you know, just being open about, you know, not knowing how to interact because that's okay, right? Like don't try to pretend you know if you don't know. Just be open, be honest and say, I don't know how to, you know, interact with you. Can you give me some tips? Because I do want to interact with you. I think that would be number one. Number two is, you know, if you're having a hard time connecting with someone on the spectrum or anybody in general, because the rules of connecting with someone with autism, you know, you, they can be followed by anybody. Uh, I, I think it's just, again, entering their world, asking questions, you know, uh, looking them in the eye, being sincere, being open-minded, using their name, you know, just being sincere and, and really uh, more than anything, wanting to connect with them and how they view the world. I think the meshing of perspectives is where communication hits that flow, right? Where if you can combine two different perspectives from individuals and they can learn about each other's worldly uh, perspectives, I think communication becomes so much smoother and easier to facilitate because you know the perspective they're seeing things from. So I think it's just being open, you know, and it's okay to say, I don't know how to help you. If And it's okay if um, you ask an individual with autism, what to do and they don't know if they don't know that's fine too just say if you do know just let me know um but again it's often the simple things you know for me it's that you know that that look in the eye that that pat on the back or that handshake after meeting me that um i i know people are sincere through their simple actions and again if it can just be up front and say hey i, I want to help you but i don't know how um let me know uh I think that's huge because too often, again, we try to help without really knowing how to help. And that's just, that never really ends well because we're pretty much shooting in the dark. And, you know, sometimes we hit the person we're trying to connect with. I think from what you said earlier, also perhaps never assuming mm -hmm. anything about a new person that you're meeting, never yeah. assuming that they're going to, you know, understand that you've said something just to be polite, but you don't really mean it. Mm -hmm. um, that seems to be a really big source of, of miscommunication and, and disconnection from what you've said. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, the fact that, you know, like I've had meetings in the past where um, people have told me like, wow, I, I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect when I was going to meet you, Russell, because you have autism. I was kind of expecting something different. Again, that's, you know, uh, I, I'm guilty of the Invalidating. same. Invalidating. Yeah, we're all guilty of that, right? You know, we have our preconceived notions of, you know, what we think the situation is going to go like. And so as long as we can be aware of that, though, because it's natural, it's a heuristic, mm -hmm. it's a mental shortcut to evaluate a situation. And even though it can be efficient at times, oftentimes it leads us to biases and misconceptions. So as long we don't have to change that, we just have to be aware that that's how the human brain operates and step out of that a little bit. And that's when we can learn about others in a true fashion that is integrated within us. And is that painful when people say, I didn't expect you to be like this, or you don't look like you have autism. Uh, is that, does that just sort of contribute to the feelings of being misunderstood? Is that something that people should just 100% stay away from saying? Um, I don't think it, it really pains me or hurts me anymore. I think uh, if it's been like a long day and I'm getting back from a trip and it's an Uber driver, like on the way home who says it, the it'll probably just like frustrate me and I'll be like, Oh my God, I can't deal with this right now. Um, but it doesn't really hurt because I know a lot of people, again, they're, they're not doing out of intention. They're not doing it intentionally. They're just ignorant. And again, ignorance is usually used with negative connotation, but we're all ignorant to some extent. I don't know things about cerebral palsy, you know, that would make me ignorant to interacting with someone about that, but I'd be open about that. So if we can just be more aware of our ignorance, instead of blurting out something like, oh my God, I don't think you have autism. You know, I think we can keep ourselves in check. And so when, but when people do that, I know it's, uh, you know, I can, I can tell if it's, uh, 
out of malice or not. And, you know, if it's not out of malice and I have no problem with it, it is, it is frustrating, but I don't take it personally. Well, I think that you are an amazing speaker and you're so much fun to talk to. And I think that you're a really good, a really terrific advocate for autism and for autistic culture. Thank you, Catherine. I appreciate that. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a a great responsibility to have. And I don't take it lightly because, again, I know what it's like to not feel heard, to be kind of forgotten by the world. And if I can um, speak up, not for myself, but just for others, again, just I don't want to speak about um, like my life journey all the time. I don't want to speak about how to interact with people with autism all the time. What I want to speak about is like, oh, we're all people. It's just like, I don't care if you have autism. I don't care if you have bipolar. I don't care if you have one leg. You know, I just want to learn about you and be curious about what makes you tick as a human and what you're passionate about. And I think if we can all kind of harness that, then this world would be a hell of a lot more unified and just com- compassionate. And we don't realize we're big, one big part of the human family as, as, you know, unrealistic as that may sound. It's very true at the same time. Perfect words to end with. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me again today. It's Absolutely. Been a Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy these conversations with Russell, his perspective, his vulnerability, and of course, his poetry. But this conversation really struck me not just how to meet autistic people where they are, but really just how to be a better friend in general. Wouldn't it be great if we all met each other with an open mind and sincerity, as Russell talked about, if we all began to ask each other questions about what we want and need in terms of communication and the relationship in general? And it has me thinking that if we all approached our relationships in those ways, how much more meaningful they could be. Lots of thanks to Russell for coming on and sharing his thoughts and his poetry. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. We appreciate your reviews and ratings if you're so inclined. And if you have show ideas or a question for us, visit our website at allautismtalk.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.